Uh, we're continuing our study in the book of 1 Timothy. Eventually we'll get to 2 Timothy and then Titus, but right now we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, last week we saw the qualifications for elders and pastors and their duties and what those, what those duties were to be. And this week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about deacons. We're going to address the qualifications for deacons and their duties from a biblical perspective. Once again, this is, I'm a man of the book and I, I, I take what the scripture says and I follow and trust what God's word lays out for us. I'm not a man who says, this is my perspective. I want to read the text and let the text interpret the text and trust and follow what God's word says for us. So let's dive in. Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask that you would do a work in our hearts this morning and that you would uh, protect us from the world and you guide us and see what you have for us from the text. We love you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So there is going to be a difference between deacons and elders. There is, an, there is a big difference. Elders are called to be able to teach and to preach God's word. And a deacon is... Actually, the, the original, the language, the Greek word is dikinos, or di, I'm sorry, dikonos, D-E, or D-I-A-K-O-N-O-S. Dikonos is the name, is the Greek word, which simply translates servant or one who serves. So, this group of men is called to help elders by serving in a capacity that frees elders to be able to do their job of teaching and shepherding the flocks and edifying the saints. And so this is, this is the difference between the two. The deacons and elders are two different groups. And that they are the same in their humanity, but their offices um, between elders and deacons carry a different role and a different responsibility. But you're going to see here in the text that these men are called to do the same type of high standard, keep the high, kind, the high standard of life in order to be able to carry the truth of this office. Everything in terms of character applies to both elders and deacons, either explicitly or implicitly. So we're going to start in verse 8. Of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy or dishonest for gain, or for, for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a, with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All right, so verse 8, we see the first thing here. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, 
So what do we see here? These men are above reproach. They are men that are, ha- that are men of integrity. They are not gossips. They, they serve in a capacity to be able to help and to come alongside and encourage and strengthen the body. They are not filled with the idea of being double-tongued, this idea of double-tongued. They don't gossip. As a servant, as a deacon, there are going to be times where they're going to find out information in the church, and they're not going to go run to someone. Did you hear? Did you hear what, sister so-and-so? Did you hear what, brother so-and-so? That's, you're not double-tongued. You're not speaking one way in front of somebody and then going behind their back and speaking a different way. You are the same in front of them as you are not in front of them. They're the same on all fields. These men are not drunkards. They, they do not... They're not addicted or slaves to alcohol. They're not looking um, for ways to, to, to get a hold of the substance and just drink and drink and drink. They're not slaves to this thing. We talked about this last week. This is the same idea for elders. Elders not slaves to alcohol. Now, you know me as a, I'm not a teetotaler. Now, my dad, was, like I said, my dad was. I'm not a teetotaler. I'm not the anti-alcohol guy. I'm a responsibility guy. I'm a I'm a guy that says, if you're going to drink, don't be foolish about it. Know that it's, that it's a gift, but don't destroy that gift. Don't be stupid with it. And, and if, listen, if you are um, prone to alcoholism, don't touch it. Don't, don't touch it. Stay, stay away from it. That's just, I've, I've always held that standard. I know men and women who they can't. My dad was a man who could not hold his alcohol. He got belligerent. He got stupid. So we didn't have any alcohol in our house growing up. It just, it just didn't happen. So stay away from it. Don't be a slave to the drink. These men are not looking for a way to make a quick buck. They're willing to work hard and work with integrity. They are men that show themselves to be trustworthy. I'll never forget, Dad. this was a dad saying... A good man of God, a deacon, a man of God should be able to be entrusted with your wallet and your wife and they come back in the same order that they were given to you. If I, if I needed you to come take care of my wife and I needed you to take care of my finances, I know that you would be a man of integrity that loves the Lord above all else and you would take care of my family, my wife, my children, and my finances in such a way that it honored the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great great idea they're not looking to make a quick buck they show themselves trustworthy in all areas verse 9 they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience they got they got to be saved (laughs) i know that this is a crazy idea that these men need to be saved but man we live in a world if you know i've listen i've known some deacons don't know if they were saved. They may have held the office, but I'm pretty sure some of these men were not Christians. And we'll find out why that's in, important here in a little bit. But they understand the gospel. They're able to articulate the gospel that they themselves are a true believer. They're able to articulate that they are a believer. They're able to tell with a good confidence and a good conscience that they are a Christ follower. 
They're able to share the gospel with those that they are ministering to. Those men are able to present and share the gospel with those that they're ministering or serving. Like that's You're able to do this. This is what it's called. So many, many claim to want to be a servant in the church. Many, many do claim this. They have a hard time telling you, those that are serving as deacons, they have a hard time telling you how they got saved. Like, we should be able to, as Christians, know when Christ got a hold of us. Like, I remember distinctly how Christ got a hold of me. I was in Trinity Baptist Church. I was sitting over right, right about where Pam is sitting. Uh, yes, I was a back row Baptist too. So that just, I just was. So that's just what we do, right? So I'm over in this section and the sermon was over Pharisees and how they were a whitewashed tomb. They looked pretty on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. The Holy Spirit used that text to ignite in my heart. You are a religious lost kid and you need to repent of your sins and you need to trust in this gospel you say you believe in. You need to really trust it. And that was the day that God got a hold of me. It was in November 1999. I don't remember the exact date, but I remember the month because it was cold. Many want to be a servant in the church, but they have a hard time telling you how Jesus got a hold of them. This is why we must vet these men. Not just anyone who wants to be a deacon can be a deacon. They must clearly be able to prove that they are a follower of Christ Jesus. People might say something like, well, my relationship with Jesus is just a personal thing and it's a quiet thing and it's not something I'm supposed to talk about. Absolute hogwash. If you know, the scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're redeemed and you're a Christian, that should not be something you're ashamed of. You should be able to be articulate and say, yes, I belong to Christ Jesus. I have been bought with the blood. I have been set free from my sin and my past. They must be able to, with clarity and conviction, prove that they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you explain the gospel? Can you help relay the gospel to those that you're serving? Can you confidently express and explain the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? If not, you should be able to. Next, verse 10. Let them also be tested first. So here, where did you get they're supposed to be vetted? Well, the Bible. Verse 10. Let these men be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now you say, well, Caleb, we're not, none of us are blameless. We're all sinful. I get it. Are you saved? Are you set free from your past? Deacons must be men who are vetted. Some deacons, now listen, some deacons, especially in Baptist churches, come in with their own agendas, their own plans, their own goals. And we, I have been in Baptist churches where, man, deacons run the thing like an iron fist. And that is not biblical. That is absolutely not biblical whatsoever to come in and have a a deacon who has an agenda and they want to run and have a power trip and mentally enslave the people that they are supposed to be serving deacons are not rulers they are servants get that down and get that down very clearly these men are to serve not to rule that's that's what the text tells us verse 11 
Their wives likewise must be diligent, or I'm sorry, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Um, I have also been in churches where um, you've got some good men, but you've got their wives who they get in a women's prayer meeting and it becomes a gossip session. The text tells us their wives, these deacons' wives, should be dignified, not slanderers. They're not gossiping. They're not over saying, did, you, did I tell you? Did I tell you about? No. No, this is not how this is supposed to play out. They are to be sober-minded. They have a mind that is sober, not a drunken mind, but a sober mind to be able to articulate and bless those who are in their presence. Faithful in all things. Not just some things, they're to be faithful in all things. Verse 12. Let de- now this is, and this is what Caleb, you've been saying men, men, men. How do you know that women can't be deacons? Verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. I know that we live in a culture that says you can do and be whatever you want. But women, I I love you enough to tell you this. You can't be a husband. And my wife says there's no way I'd ever want to be a husband. Ladies, amen? All right. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. This is how, like I said, this is how we know deacons are supposed to be men. We'll We'll keep, there's more to that information here in just a second. We'll see that in just a second. This is the... The same wording for elders. This is the same task for elders. The word there for one wife is one woman man. A one woman kind of man. Some will say, well, Caleb, wait a second. Wait a second. What about men who have been divorced? How about that one? Is that one? Are, are, are those men disqualified? Maybe. Maybe. This is where we have to look at case-by-case basises. Now, we'll talk about why it's important that maybe they, that they shouldn't be divorced. But like I said, these are case-by-case basises. We don't just immediately say, well, that's, that's, they're not counted. Because we have 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 15, that tells us this. Verse 12 says, To the rest I say, not I, but the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Verse 13. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy or sanctified or, or not, not saved, but they're, they're sanctified. They're made holy. They're made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. And here's the caveat in verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved or bound in these cases. God has called you to live in peace. So in this scenario, if an unbeliever leaves a Christian, a Christian is not bound in these cases. They're just not. This is why 
It is not just a simple open and shut case. And I know that there are certain Southern Baptist folks, I know there are Baptist men and women who, man, they, they, they just buck at this and they just don't like this. But it's in the Word of God. So it's not just an open and shut case. The wording of husband and one wife is literally translated one woman kind of man. Some may differ on how they think that that is played out. But this is why we must look at the whole man and not just this one incident. Not just a moment in his life. This is the same for elders as well. Now, is it best that they don't have a divorce on their record? You bet. Like God intended for us as human beings when we get married to stay married to the same person till death do us part. Amen? That's what it's called in the text. Nevertheless... We live in a fallen world, and we are, we are humans who fall short. Anybody in the room fallen short? As I say, don't leave me out here by myself, because I know y'all. Okay? We've all fallen short, including your pastor. We've all fallen short. We've all done stupid things. Anybody in the room ever done something stupid? I wish they could take it back. Say, yeah, I remember that person I married. <laughs> Right? No, no, you two just work it out. <laughs> but this is this is where we must look at the whole person and not and the entire circumstance of what's going on. Now there are certain types and circumstances where absolutely Men can be disqualified from doing these things. If they are actively pursuing and doing something nefarious in their marriage, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 you're disqualified. Now, if you repent and you trust Christ, it's a different scenario. But overall, the idea is that the man is to, is to, to be devoted to one woman. They don't have, like I said, they're not running a group of ladies. I'll never forget, I was a trash man in college, and I had this guy that I worked with, and he was an interesting character. His name was Leroy. And he would get off the truck, and he would bow to a house. And I was like, Leroy, what are you doing, man? He's like, my associate lives there. I was like, okay, cool. Well, we went down about... Four or five blocks, he gets off the next, and he bows to this next house. And I was like, what, what are you doing? He's like, my associate lives there too. I said, is it the same associate? He goes, no. I was like, what is an associate? He goes, these are the ladies that I'm seeing. I said, what do you, why do you call them associates? He goes, sometimes we associate, sometimes we don't. That's a problem. That's a problem. That, that, that is wrong. That, that is not how God laid these things out. That's a wrong thing to do. So, as well as being a one-woman man, what's the text tell him? He must keep his household in check. He must be able to manage his household. If he is so focused on trying to manage the church and he neglects his house, the scripture calls him worse than an infidel, worse than a pagan. You're supposed to be able to manage your household well. Because if, if you do that, you bring, you, or if, I'm sorry, if you don't manage your household well, if you neglect 
your family. You bring disgrace on your household and ultimately the name of Christ. So you must manage your household well. Verse 13 says, um, here, here in verse 13 we see the good news of this. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Just like those who are called to be elders, those who are called to be deacons have a high, high calling to serve the church. And ultimately, this is not about personalities or egos. What we should be doing in this place is lifting up the name of Christ, not... An individual. Amen? Nobody on that one? All right. Got a couple. That's Amen. Got a couple. So this is, this is our calling, is that we are to lift the name of Christ well. We're to serve well. We're to teach well. This is the qualifications of how we run a church. This is the whole point of First, Second Timothy, and Titus, is to look at what it looks like to run your church biblically. How a church should be run biblically. And I know that we live in a culture in a world right now that just let it's Katie bar the door and we just do whatever. Like there are certain churches that if my dog, if I said, hey, listen, my dog Charlie wants to come and be, be a deacon. There would be some churches that would be OK with that. There would. There, there are some crazy churches that would do that. Um, they're primarily in California, but uh, we'll not talk about that. Um, but the Lord Jesus is the one that we are to honor and to, and to lift high. And my prayer is that this helps us bring clarity and unity in our church to help us see why we do what we do. We don't do it just because we're Baptist. The, the scripture is very clear. There's, listen, Paul was very clear when he wrote this to Timothy. He did not mince words. Paul was not a man who minced words and sort of kind of beat around the bush. He was very direct. And I think that's what we've lost in our culture is that we're not direct anymore. We're just sort of kind of, we're terrified that we're going to offend somebody. Oh, they're going to offend, we're going to be, we're going to offend them and they're going to leave. Jesus, when looking at his disciples, he offended a whole thousands. There were tens of thousands of people that were there. He would have been able to launch the mega ministry right then and there after he just fed over 10,000 people. He had fed them. And they, I mean, it was ready to go. And Jesus gets up and says, what? If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't partake in this, into the second birth. And people are like, wait, whoa, wait a second. What? Jesus, what did you say? Why did, whoa, 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 that's not this. I like this whole feed me, entertain me, keep me in your little circle of entertainment. But man, what, I, I, I need to lay my, I have to follow you completely. I got to eat your flesh and drink your blood. What does that mean? Jesus didn't go, oh, you know what? I'm sorry that I, I offend you. I'm sorry. Let me, let me change my directive here. I'm so sorry. Come back and let's make it easier for you to hear this. Um, just let me pat you on the back and tell you how awesome you are. No, Jesus said, they, they, everyone leaves. There's tens of thousands of people. They leave. And he looks at his inner 12 and says, does this offend you as well? You can go. There's the door. Jesus said, there's the door. You can go. But what we've done in our 20th, 21st century churches is that we've, con- we've, we live in this construct of we've got to keep, we've got to keep these things full. We gotta keep these things full. If we don't keep these things full, we're done. The church thrived for years, for decades, for centuries. 
They mostly met in houses. And I think that there is coming a persecution on the church quickly for those who live biblically where we're going to have to get back into houses. Stuff like this ain't going to work. They're going to come in here and they're going to, they're going to take guys like me and throw me in the street and either arrest me. They're, you say, well, that would never happen here. It's happening right now in China. They're pulling pastors out of pulpits and taking them into the streets and they say, recant. And they say, well, I'm not going to. And they shoot them in the head. That happened this week in China. Don't think it can't. Oh, it could never happen in America. We're, we're accelerating the process and we're getting closer to that. Let's back it up two years. There were men of God who were arrested and thrown in jail because they just decided to open their doors and have a church service. But there were people who, they said, this is, you're, you're out, you're trying to kill grandma because of, of COVID. You're killing grandma. I had people call me and say, you're going to kill grandma. Like I had people call me personally and just rip me up one side and down the other because I decided to open the church doors. But I said, wait a second, we can have demonstrations and riots and crazy stuff in the streets. And Walmart and Home Depot can be open. They're essential, but the church isn't essential. Hogwash, the church is essential. And I remember, I, I came to you as a church and I apologized publicly and repented and said, I'm sorry that I closed my doors. These doors here will never be closed again. And listen, they're, they're trying, they're stirring the pot it's beginning to have the pots are being be stirred again. They're trying to stoke our fears again because they don't want you gathering. If you want to gather to riot and burn down a city, that's your right as an American. But if you gather to worship, shame on you. And they throw men in prison. That's, no. No, we're not doing that here. We stand solidly on what the word of God tells us to do. Scripture tells us in Hebrews not to neglect as you see that day approaching. Listen, I believe that Christ is coming sooner rather than later. Amen? I believe that Christ is returning sooner rather than later. And the scripture says, as we see that day approaching. So that tells us that we as Christians have the ability to have insight that, listen, Jesus is coming. The scripture says, you're not unaware of these things. You know the times and the seasons. I don't even need to tell you this. You know things are getting weird. That means I'm getting ready to be here. You better pay attention. And as you see that day approaching, don't neglect to meet together. That's Hebrews chapter 10. Don't neglect to meet together, but rather get together, stir one another up for love and for good works. Not to stir one another up with gossip, but to stir one another up and say, Christ is king. His reign is forever. And we will follow and trust Christ regardless of what happens. Well, Caleb, what if, what if I get sick and I die? Listen, I'm going to promise you something. And I can say this with authority because God's word says it, not just me. Scripture says it is appointed unto man once to die. So what does that mean? You and I have an appointment with this thing called death. And there's nothing we can do. Oh, I'll just stay in my house. Nobody dies early. No one dies early. I hate when people oh, just he died too early. No, he didn't. No, she didn't. There was an appointment. God said, this is your end date. Just like I had a beginning date, I have an end date. I had nothing to do with my beginning, and I have nothing to do with my end. It will happen regardless. 
I'm going to die one day if Christ doesn't return, and so are you. So what should we be doing? Stirring one another up to Christ-likeness. The preaching the gospel, standing firm on God's word and saying, thus saith the Lord. This is how the scriptures have laid out how we're supposed to do things. That's the reason we're, the churches are in such disarray in our culture today because men refuse to teach these things. In fact, in just a couple of verses, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says this. Verse 3, there's coming a day when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth, and, wa- and they will wander off into myths and fables because they want to do what they want to do. They're not interested in what God's word says. They're interested in gratifying their own flesh. I will not be that pastor. I will be a pastor who says, this is what God's word tells us to do. Let's trust it until Christ comes. That He wrote it, and that settles it. Doesn't, that, doesn't matter if I believe it or not. He still wrote it, and it's the truth. And it's a t- time-tested book that has stood the test of time over mi- millions of people, hundreds of dictators, thousands of dictators, It still stood the test of time. And this book is more relevant today than it has ever been. It's more relevant than the front page of the newspaper that you read or the websites, news websites that you read. This has more relevance to what's happening in 2023 than you can even begin to understand. So we must trust this word. We must trust it. All right. 